Expert Insights is an ongoing medical education podcast. The Carl Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please click on the link and complete the episode's post-test. This podcast forum is brought to you to share expertise and insights within our integrated delivery system to help us improve the health of the people we serve and achieve world-class accessible care. This is Expert Insights. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. Today we're talking about women's health, screening for and management of cervical dysplasia. My guest is Aubrey Hudson. She's a physician assistant in obstetrics and gynecology at the Carl Foundation Hospital. Aubrey, let's just start with a little bit of the prevalence of cervical dysplasia and what is different about what we know about this disease today. So the prevalence of cervical dysplasia and cervical cancer, we would want to differentiate. Cervical cancer rates have dropped dramatically um, in the last number of years as um, we have the integrated uh, cervical cancer screening. Um, it is very cervical dysplasia is not uncommon, and the good news is most of the time, low-grade cervical dysplasia actually will resolve on its own without much intervention. Let's talk about the current screening guidelines. What's going on today? Uh, so, as of two thousand. 13, the American Society for Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology um, came out with new guidelines that really upended what we were used to. Historically, we had been using just the pap smear done every year um, for, for all women and starting when they were first sexually active. Currently, the recommendation is for screening starting at age 21 and screening through the age of 65 with a few stipulations. Um, women who have had a hysterectomy, who have not had any uh, history of CIN2 or greater, can discontinue pap smears. Also, women over 65 have to have met certain guidelines in that they have not had um, CIN2 or greater within the last 20 years um, and that they have had a certain number of negative screening PAPs done within the last 10 years. Um, that information can be referenced both out of the pap smear order. There is a link to when you can start and when you can discontinue paps um, it, within the um, EPIC order here at Carl. There's also a smart phrase that is called dot pap collection, and it is embedded right in that smart phrase as to when it is appropriate to discontinue a pap smear. Um, the Age from 21 to 29, the recommendation is for a pap smear only. Starting at age 30, from 30 to 64, would be with a pap and an HPV test together. This really um, improves catching the, the HPV positive women that might have a negative pap but actually still have cervical dysplasia. Um, Oh, there are um, there is gaining some more steam for primary HPV screening done in the 25 to 29 year old population. Um, we have not started to institute that greatly in our department, but I do think that's something we're going to see um, gaining steam in the in the near future. If women are having co-testing and there's discordant results, what would you like providers to know about managing those results? 
That's a great question. So HPV 16 and 18 really get highlighted, and those those positive tests are going to go straight to colposcopy regardless of their their um, pap result. Um, and I use, I actually, for the others, I think the harder ones are the HPV other group is positive or the pap is ascus and the HPV is negative. Those really do take a little bit more digging in. I think the most important thing in interpreting those is knowing what the history is. If this woman has never had an abnormal pap, it may be managed one way say, an ASCUS HPV negative in someone with no history of abnormal, they would come back in three years, whereas someone who has had a leap within the last two years, that woman needs a colposcopy. So it is really important to, to understand those discordant results. I like to use the ASCCP app on my phone, or the ASCCP does have a detailed um, paged uh, pamphlet that you can use. The app is great because it takes you not only to the right place, it also lets you know what their risk of developing CIN2, 3, or um, carcinoma in situ would be over the next five years. So you can really understand their risk and, and communicate that to the patient as well as to why it's so important to have follow-up. Aubrey, what would you say is the most common misconception that you hear about PAP interpretation and recommended management? Sure. I think um, there are two big things that I see. One is an overmanagement and one is an undermanagement. Um, with those patients who do have an ASCUS HPV negative and no history of abnormal, they really do not need a colposcopy. We sometimes get them sent to us for further uh, workup when really they don't need it. Um, and the other one also involves ASCUS. So the ASCUS or atypical squamous cells of undetermined significance is very, very different than AGUS, which is atypical glandular cells of undetermined significance. These are not the same things. With ASCUS, we really do lean pretty heavily on what is that HPV result. So we, we look at we need to look at both as to whether or not they need a colposcopy. Whereas AGUS, atypical glandular cells needs a colposcopy no matter what. These glandular cells are the cells that are that are most concerning um, for the for the the deeper problems in the cervix. There's also concern there could be endometrium endometrial involvement. So in these women, um, depending on their age and their other risk factors, they may also need an endometrial biopsy. This all may need to be done even if their HPV test is negative. What HPV test do you advise using? We here at Carl have an HPV test that differentiates HPV 16, HPV 18, and then an other. Not all HPV tests do that, which is why in the guidelines you will sometimes see that it says HPV um, typing is optional or something along those lines. I think that the having the separate types is very important because HPV 16 and 18 really are, I mean, they cause 70% of cervical cancers. They really are more aggressive and really are kind of a, a horse of a different color. So, um, that is much more helpful than just having a test that says HPV positive or HPV negative. Who doesn't fit into the guidelines, Aubrey? So 
women who have HIV are the probably the biggest thing that we want to think of. They do need annual pap smears. Um, and the CDC recommends from the time of diagnosis. Of course, we're not going to do a pap on an infant if they're diagnosed then. So then I think there's some room for, for decision-making. But HIV is really separate from this. And then also women who are severely immunocompromised, say someone who has had an organ transplant and is at that level of immunosuppression. And then women over 65, again, stopping at 65 is only if certain stipulations are met. They've had CIN2 or greater in the last 20 years, or if they've ever had cervical cancer, those are not women who are ready to stop and may may not be. That's that's a more nebulous population there. So 65 is not a hard stop. It is a stop with stipulations. Give us a little bit of a clinical decision, analysis of what treatment or management you would do when someone's determined to have cervical dysplasia. So some of that depends on age, which really has, that is something that has very much changed from where we were, you know, say 20 years ago. Um, we really are much less aggressive with women between the age of 21 and 24. Often their management would be to repeat a pap in a year, and we'll do that up to a couple of years before we even do any more investigation. So one thing I try to help the patients understand is the difference between colposcopy and treatment. Colposcopy is really just a diagnostic test. It is more of a confirmation test to see if what we saw in the pap smear is actually really there. So that's always the first step is colposcopy. And then the colposcopy result really guides our decisions. So from that, if we see CIN3, almost the vast majority of the time we're doing a LEAP procedure in the office, the loop electrosurgical excisional procedure, which is both diagnostic and treatment. Um, if we are seeing persistent disease after a LEAP, um, then sometimes we will move to a cone biopsy, which is uh, done in the operating room. And hysterectomy is the ultimate treatment if we have um, dysplasia that is not treated with these local approaches, though the vast majority of the time, if caught early, the cervical dysplasia can can be managed mostly in the office and um, with close follow-up, usually with these less minor, less less invasive uh, treatments. In your opinion, Aubrey, where do you see immunization fitting into this picture of diagnosis and testing and management and and co-testing? Where do you see that going? I think eventually our guidelines will change in regard to women who have had um, the HPV vaccination, especially if it was done before sexual activity and... um, you know, now we have the the nine strain vaccine. So I think eventually we may see the guidelines let up potentially for the younger women or change or maybe even management. But I, I do think that we are seeing less HPV 16 and 18 with the women who have been vaccinated versus not. Um, so I think there's, there's great hope that we will eventually see uh, so much less disease, and that that potentially could change things. But it, it is slow change because we we really do, you know, want to make sure that we're not getting too laissez-faire about things too quickly, um, and not gaining unnecessary reassurance. Wrap it up for us. What you would like other providers to take away from this segment, 
and and really as far as screening and management of cervical dysplasia? I think it's both exciting and frustrating that cervical cancer is so much less problematic if we can catch it in a dysplasia stage. So it's really important to let women know that. And if they're there for something and you see they are overdue for a pap smear, if you don't feel comfortable collecting it that day, set them up. Don't let them walk out of the office without an appointment for a physical so you can do their pap smear. Um, sometimes their only entrance into our into the medical world might be at a convenient care visit or at something else. And I understand that there are a lot of other things pulling at us, but, um, you know, using the health maintenance activity to see, hey, are they due, and, and letting them know you are a young, healthy woman, but this is something that is potentially very, very early treat, early treatable if we if we catch it. So I think it's uh, the the role of the vaccine is exciting. You know, we have a we have a disease, a cancer that we may be able to prevent with vaccines, but it's still trying to catch all those and, and letting the public and letting everyone know how important it is. Thank you so much for being on with us today and sharing your expertise and explaining the screening and management. Thank you again. You're listening to Expert Insights with the Carl Foundation Hospital. For a listing of Carl providers and to view Carl-sponsored educational activities, please visit carlconnect.com. That's carlconnect.com. We hope the information gained will be applicable to your work and life. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for tuning in.